Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Oh my gosh, this is so weird, dear listener. This is in, uh, what is it, 13 or 14 months? This is the first time we are both here in the West Craven Memorial Library, where it all began, recording in person together in the same room. We watched the movie together for the first time in over a year. Oh my god! I might have an emotional release, <laughs> right? Just gonna start crying. We're just gonna sit here and listen to uh, Joe cry for um, the next ten minutes. All right, here it, we go. It, it's just like <laughs> it's just so good to be back. Yeah, it's it remind like I have like a a renewed love of you know doing this show again. Not that I was like waning in my love before, <laughs> but like you know. The reason why I love doing the show is because I get to watch the movie with you and f- have, you know, side comments. And then we come and we, you know, we we do it in the studio. And, right. and now here we are. And it is, it is, it's intense. Yeah. It's intense to be here. Yeah. No, it's definitely uh, things have, you know, been weird to say the least so yeah it's it's definitely it's strange like do we remember how to do this in person like setting up the equipment for the first time in over a year you know like hopefully this all records hopefully it's making its way to your earballs people <laughs> um but yeah like to like thinking about like oh shoot what do we need and you know having I'll, to find stuff also like i don't know if it was possible but the library is like grown like oh it's, yes it's like there are there's more <laughs> shelves there's more there's more stuff in here yeah no it's definitely over filling i'm having to uh yeah <laughs> you need a bigger room i know <laughs> i think i think you need to take the the spare bedroom and make that the library because it's a little bigger yeah <sighs> I, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm definitely outgrowing the space. I mean, there's part of me that like, knows that, like, you know, there's, like, two shelves of, like, psych books that will all move to whatever office I end up having in the future, you mm-hmm. know? So it's, like, I, I always keep it in the back of my mind, like, some of this will leave this space. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff here that was at my old job, you know, which I left in the, you know, uh, since we last worked together. Uh, so there's a lot of that stuff I had to find places for that again, I will probably take back out and, you know, have in an office. Uh, cause you know, hopefully I will have my own office <laughs> in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see, I guess. Uh, 
but that's kind of gives me hope. So, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff that will come out. Uh, there are books that I will hopefully want to give clients and get, you know, take to groups and, you know, do things like that. So in the future, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, but yeah, I had to add that whole other, uh, layer of the shelving that goes up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having to reorganize the posters. The this posters. Candyman print wasn't here yeah. last time. Um, yeah. Oh, there's... these I love. Yeah, your... we got those in uh, when we were in New Jersey. At, That's right. I think. You, those are the um, the like what is it? Cryptozoology. Yeah. Was like, that was that in was that at Monster Mania? Or did it we was. Get... Okay. It was. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Because I remember the the booth uh, being right around the corner from where um, we were stationed. Um. Who? Uh, it's just. It's. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm taking it in. It's. It's a visual <laughs> buffet. So. Who has signed the knife that's up there? Uh, that is the Michael Myers who was in uh, part six, I think. The Curse of Michael Myers with uh, Paul Rudd. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like that Michael Myers signed it? or Yeah, the okay. guy who played him in that in that role. And who's the picture in Nick's Elvira? This is great for you, listener, because you can totally see. Um, <laughs> you can totally see this. <laughs> Who who's in the picture next to Elvira? That is actually a painting of Audrey Lord. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That was a gift from a, um, a professor friend of mine who visited uh, last week. We had a nice uh, day, and she brought that to me as a gift because she knows I oh. love me some Audrey Lord. I know. Well, you can't <laughs> you can't tear down the master's house. Exactly. Uh, yes, with the master's tools. With the master's tools. Yes. Um, so, actually, on that note, dear listener, if you, uh, you know, again, since we're talking about stuff, we have a new Instagram account. It's kind of, it's a bookstagram account, uh, you know, which is sort of where to share books and things like that. Uh, on Instagram, it's uh, the West Craven Memorial Library. So, if you're so inclined to want to see, you know, the things that uh, live in, in this space, <laughs> uh, I'm sort of documenting it there. I mean, I'm sharing mostly books, but I'm also going to start, like, taking pictures of some of, the, like, the weird souvenir type stuff, and um, you know, I have some cool autograph things, and so I'm just going to kind of doc- document the adventures, the ever-growing uh, library, uh, West Craven Memorial Library. <laughs> um, you I, can find it. <laughs> I feel like I have to say this because because um, that's the time in which we're living and we don't want to get canceled, but we are following the CDC guidelines for gathering post-vaccination. That's right, because we are both fully vaccinated. I've yes. been fully vaccinated for several months because I was working in healthcare, so I actually got yes. the vaccine a long time ago. And I, um, I am recently, I am like three weeks now out from my second dose. Yeah. Um, in fact, we recorded an episode the day, I, the day after I got my second dose, and it was not fun, but powered through it. Yeah. And the episode was fun, but yeah, I kind of felt bad for you because yeah. you were just like prostrate in bed. Like <laughs> I know, I just like laid down, and I mean, you could probably guess which one it is because the the audio is not great, but um, but it's nice to be here finally here with you yeah. in um, it's like a coming home, it's like yeah. a home going, yeah. almost. Oh, and I'm glad that you're still you're six feet away from me, which is good. I wish yeah. I could push you farther. Um, <laughs> I'm still six we feet got away. Big window open. Windows are open. Um, I mean, I just love this. I was like, I see horror noir right there. I see uh, Lovecraft Country. Do we have like? Are we gonna get like a nice like framed picture of like 
Lacey and of like Tanana Reeve Do <laughs> and <laughs> I would like that actually. I really would love to track Tanana Reeve down and have her sign some stuff because I've got a bunch of her books. Um, yeah. So it is yes, we've been growing in here, outgrowing the space. So yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future. I just have to get creative. Oh, I just saw the, I just saw Baby Yoda with the sombrero yeah. <laughs> behind you. <laughs> yeah, somebody gifted me the sombrero at my old job, and I just couldn't part with it. It was so cute. It's really pretty. It's really detailed. It's like a mini, like you know, it's got sequins all over. It. It's really pretty, and so I didn't know where to put it. So I stuck it on Baby Yoda. Nice, but yeah so yeah there it's there's been a lot of of stuff added um you know and i mean again there are some like i've hidden away like i put some stuff up there like the little stuffed animals but i those spaces are for more books to be added you know so there's there i'm conserving space in certain places for more books i do like this because like in this particular like behemoth of a shelf it doesn't look like anything's particularly breakable. So right. in the event of, you know, earthquake, you won't have anything going on over here. Yeah, um, I hope not. And I hope, because the, the bottom, I put tons of really, all of these really heavy books. Mm-hmm. So I kind of sit here and do wonder about that. Like, I'm going to be sitting here one day doing a podcast and a, like a, the big one's going to hit and this thing is just going to fall on top of me. Um, and I'll be crushed doing what I love, um, talking. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! There's no delay. There's no delay in. I know. Yeah, and I can hear my voice in my like in my like. It's just so funny the things that we have to you know because you know when you're recording online like you're just kind of at the mercy of it. So, yeah. but we're actually here with like the, our mics, the real mics, and mic cords, and the whole mm-hmm. thing, and the devices, and the, the plugs, and the, you know, oh, and the wires. I can hear the cats outside. Right, they're right there. Like. uh it's so funny because like we, I came in and I was like, "Hey, look, we're doing what some people have been doing the entire time right. <laughs> is meeting and yeah. ma- not masked and just you know, it's just us." And yeah. there's just like a lot. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's people who have like just a ton of trust or if it's people who are just completely stupid. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, or it's a combination of both. Because, like, for me, it's, like, I trust people, but also at a, at, by the same token, you don't know, you're not with someone 100% of the time. So right. You're right. only with yourself. So, it's, like, I know for me that, like, I'm okay, but I also, like, can't convince you, and you can't convince me. So, you know, I just want to say that I've appreciated you having, like, in the last year just being okay with us you know, doing everything online. And- yeah, no, I took it very, very seriously. Um, and I know you did, and I've, I've had a couple other friends, but but no, yeah, the majority of people I feel, well, not the majority, I don't want to say the majority, because I do know a lot of people that took it seriously. Yes, and yes. especially took it more seriously, like, in the first few months. And again, there's a lot of reasons. Again, it's the there's lots of intersections I think. So it's like, I try, I don't necessarily want to guilt or shame people because I think the government directions were all over the place. The CDC was all over the place and all that continues to be the case. Um, you know, we live in, in the dying stages of brutal capitalism, at least this version of it. Uh, you know, so people kind of are forced to work and to go out and, um, you know, 
do whatever and they need to do to survive. Uh, you, for some people, it's very, very hard, the world we live in, to like stay inside and, you know, be a part. And again, I don't want to like, you know, you go out, you get it, you give it to people, you know, you have to kind of live with that. You live with like being sick or getting somebody else sick. Um, I don't know. It, I have a lot of feelings about it, but I just it's been such a insane year and back and forth and let's open and let's close and let's open and let's close. And, you know, you look at other countries that kind of just shut down and then gave their people, you know, enough to live on or put moratoriums on things. Cause again, you know, like I'm a, I don't know. There just need to be a lot more help in place to, to make yeah. this better. And we just, as a, as a country, if anything else leaving this, I hope that people have learned that, um, this is America is a failed state. <laughs> and we have to do better and we should be doing better. You know, when we look at other countries, I I don't see how anybody could hold on to the delusion that like we are somehow, you know, beyond um, we're number one. Like, I just don't see how people are going to hold on to that delusion. They will, because people will be willfully blind. But I think that's the most, I think that's the biggest lesson, is that this was such an epic disaster. Yeah, it didn't need, you know, half a million people plus did not needlessly died. Like, there was no reason that it needed to ever get that way. Yeah, it just didn't. And we, you know, have known, there's been tons of warning about stuff like this, and we just... We have the money, we have the resources to take care of everybody and to, to, to have avoided this, and we just, we didn't, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know, again, during this time, the the eight billionaires went to three that have the most, like, mm-hmm. have more wealth than 50% of, 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 of the country. And, you know, our, our choices have been made. And yeah. so I, I just, I want people to kind of wake up to that part of it, you know, mm-hmm. that the amount of suffering, the amount of worry, the amount of anxiety and fear that people had thinking about how they're going to pay rent, how they're going to live, how they're going to eat, how they're going to feed their kids while other people profited from all of that. Oh, you just yeah. hope that, that maybe people will uh, see that. But again, they're very stressed and overworked. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, just think about like, if you, how many times you've seen businesses that are like, we're open, like, yeah. Over the last year, like at least four or five, yeah, that are just like we were cl- like, no, you weren't like closed, you just couldn't operate in the same way. And I think that's part of the thing is that, like, no, everything is still open, it's just you can't sit down inside, yeah. It's far, I'm thinking mainly in terms of restaurants because, like, you know, right. it, it took a lot, it took a lot for me to get here, <laughs> to get here to the, be the place where I am like, okay, doing okay, mentally comfortable to be able to do this. And mm-hmm. it's going to take me even longer to get to, like, you know, to approach anywhere near the before, like my yeah. mentality of the before. But I think what, I think what's helped is that like, you know, and we've, we've talked about it many times off mic about like how seriously we're taking it. And so like, it's nice that one of the first, like literally one of the first things that I'm doing fully vaccinated is coming back here in the studio, doing what I love with someone who I love dearly. Oh, well, that's very sweet. So, yes. And I hope that the, you know, vaccinations continue and people are able to, to do that. And, and we should still remain cautious. Like, you know, I miss concerts, like I've said many times, but I don't think we're ready to, you know, have a big thing. I'm glad I was supposed to go to the Hollywood bowl to see Alanis Morissette. That was moved to October, uh, which I think is great. Smart. Um, 
you know, so we're just going to have to kind of play it by ear and uh, be cautious. And I think those of us that are vaccinated, yes, I think we can see people in small groups and, uh, you know, be, you know, still be vigilant about, you know, all the things that we should be, should have been vigilant about in the first place. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be washing my hands this whole time. Uh, you know, <laughs> no. I feel like what's, I feel like what's, what we're, what we're gearing up for is like people just getting like regular sick again. Right. As we see more people. Yeah. And even then it's like, now it's like, oh, definitely wash your hands. I mean, yeah, yeah I was, I'm, I feel like I'm, it's a, com- I feel like it's a compulsion, but it's like, it's not something I'm going to give up anyway. I'm not Howard Hughes, but. Right, you know. right, 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 right. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, been a very, very interesting, uh, year. And so I hope that we're able to do this. I do like to know that we now like have it down to like do it, you know, remotely. Yes. And, and uh, have guests on. Yes. That, that was probably the best learning experience uh, uh, taking this out and knowing that we can talk to people all over the world, all over the country and have them on the show as we've had, uh, you know, during this time. And, uh, you know, so there are good and bad things that, that have come out of this, but, uh, yeah, I, I have missed just doing this. Yeah. And I look forward to hopefully being able to do that again with um, a guest uh, in the future. Actually have them over and we screen the films together and watch them together. And, you know, yeah. kind of it, it's nice to have the, the, those pre-chats about stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and for anybody listening, especially any potential guests that we might have, like, you know, if you're not comfortable or not fully vaccinated, we have cords that are like, you know, 10, 20 feet long. That's so true. we could put you outside. That, yeah. We could yeah. sit somebody right out there. Yeah. We perfect. could just sit them out there and run the cord out there. So, you know, it's not, <laughs> or we just do it remotely. Or yeah. Or we, could, or we could do it remotely. Yeah. Exactly. Cause we had, I mean, I think that overall we had pretty good luck. I mean, to think that w- the worst situation that happened happened just in the last couple of months. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. so and and yeah, yeah. And in the sense of losing audio. Oh yeah, for sure. So, anyways, yay. Um, I do have, I do have something cool that happened to me. Oh, all right. Um, I, I, it's not horror related. Oh, okay. Um, but, um, so I was recently contacted by two podcasters on from my homeland, from Guam, and they wanted to, um. In the same way that I like, we've reached out to many people online. They reached out to me, and they wanted to know if I wanted to come on and chat a little bit about the experience of the show. Um, and so, um, th- I as soon as that's available, I'll let you know. I don't want to say the name just yet because they're going through a name change. Um, but you know, shout out to them. Their names are Jasmine and and um, and John on Guam and it was just such a nice thing. And Is that the new show title? Jasmine and John on Guam? <laughs> no, it, yeah, no, but it should be. Um, and it was great because, um, I, it was great because like as a fellow podcaster, I, I was like, I have, I have the equipment. You'll have great sound. <laughs> I can guarantee you have great sound. And it was also nice because like people being people from Guam, being like fellow Micronesian people, um, I was able to make jokes that like I know won't land <laughs> in this like won't land in the same way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and they listened to our show and I and I think it would be really interesting to have them on. They did, I guess it's a horror related. Um, John did point uh, out to me a cool apparently there was a film that was released a few years ago that's supposed to take place on the island of Saipan, which is like right next to Guam. And apparently uh people in that part of the world uh did not like the film 
Oh. Because of how it portrayed those people. Cool. So I thought that maybe sometime in the future we can, uh, you know, have those, our friends on, because he said he's a horror fan. So maybe have him on to come talk about that film and, and see. I love it. I think that'd be great. And I lo- and again, that's uh, an excellent opportunity to interrogate horror in the ways that were represented by it. Yes. You know, uh, because there, it's funny, you know, when we're like, oh, you know, we're never in the horror movies. And then it's like, okay, well, here, we made this gay horror film. And then we're like, okay, well, those are awful gays. <laughs> um, and those are those West Hollywood gays. Yeah, we're looking at you, Yeah, uh, You know, so I think I think that's that, that leaves a lot of... Uh, I I, th- I always think that's a great conversation to interrogate like that. That's the word of the day, apparently, interrogate. Um, but to <laughs> uh, to examine when we are present in horror films, how they get it wrong, mm-hmm. you know, obviously mm-hmm. is kind of a fun is a fun angle. So I would like to uh, I'd like to watch that and have them. That'd be great. Awesome. Uh, I'm trying to think like horror related stuff this week. I I did start the new Creep Show season two. Uh, pretty cute the first the first uh episode one is about it's set in the 70s with a little kid who builds like models like the horror models which you know very popular like in the 50s 60s 70s i mean they're still popular now but i remember growing up people having like you know the creature from the black lagoon and frankenstein and you know these sort of hand you'd paint them yourself Mm, you know kits model kits so he's like a kid who's like obsessed with horror and um you know, so that's the that's the first half, and then the second half is set at like a PBS station, and they had it was um, they were like making fun of, or like satirizing um, shows on PBS, like there was the love of painting, <laughs> and um, oh gosh, it, it it was like antiques road trip, but they had a different word. It was antiques road show, but it was called shoot, can't remember, like antique road trip, but they it was a. Whatever, it doesn't matter. And then they had this woman who was like, kind of, it was like a mix between Reading Rainbow and Lamb Chop. <laughs> but she was like, mean. She was this horrible, racist, terrible woman. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty It was pretty entertaining. So I definitely recommend checking that out. Again, it's hit or miss. I think like Tales of the Crypt, like, you know, these sorts of anthology shows, you'll enjoy some of them. Some of them won't be as good. Uh, you know, just like we talked about uh, when we did our creep show episode, um, how the how the series, the, the first season's kind of it's it's a little hit or miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I just think is always the case. Uh, and I'm sure the ones that I'm like, oh, I don't like that, and I do like this. We can find somebody that feels the opposite because that is a horror. That is pop culture in general. <laughs> it's all subjective. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much. Is that all I really? Did I want to get back to my saw? Uh, it's been on pause, my marathon. So I do want to get back to that. Um, I see them very displayed prominently. Yes, right there. I I watched Donnie Darko this week. Oh, okay. Again. Original director's cut. This actually was the theatrical cut because I accidentally bought the wrong thing. I'm kind of annoyed. I I should have read better. But they Arrow is doing a new 4K blu-ray awesome release Mm -hmm. which i did order i i don't know why i need it's kind of like elvira i've got like four copies of that film uh so now i'm gonna have like four copies of donnie darko uh but anyway so i bought a few years ago arrow did another limited edition and it had these really cool like postcards and a book a hardbound book and all this kind of stuff i thought i had ordered that 
Oh. And it turned out not to be. I didn't read close enough. There were pictures of that. That's what kind of makes me mad is that there were photos False. of it. But, and, and they weren't selling it. it the, the photos were wrapped up in like the reviews, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's my fault. I looked too quickly. Um, and I thought the, the price was a good deal because a new edition's coming out. So people will probably, you know, not have a good, you know, be able to sell it. But regardless, it doesn't matter. I rewatched it. It's been a long time since I watched the theatrical cut, so that was kind of fun. Um, and I'd been talking to my brother about it because I didn't realize that he was like really obsessed with the movie when he was a teenager. So we both have this like relationship to Donnie Darko that is radically different, and neither of us like really knew about you know like I I, I had no idea. Interesting. Yeah. So I kind of want to have him come on the show and talk about that sometime in the future. Uh, I, he's got we he's going to be on the show eventually. We just got to work it out. Uh, I know he's got a couple movies in mind that he wants to talk about, but I think we'll definitely have to have a conversation about Donnie Darko. I would love that. Would love that. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, it's kind of been a uh, it's been a blah week because I I've just had a ton of school stuff. I had two exams. Um, I had a paper. It's been a very school-heavy week. So This is the highlight, this right it here. Is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I had in my head, I was like, well, at least we're going to watch Hard Candy, you know, so that'll be fun. That was like what I knew I was going to do horror-related. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've also been trying to read more rather than watch films, too. That's the other thing, because uh, my brain has been, like, repairing itself, so I've been able to read, mm-hmm. like, really read in ways that I haven't since I was like a kid I feel uh, I'm just like devouring books left and right my to be read pile is just I'm getting through it um, my work schedule is drastically different than it has been the last few months so yeah. like I'm going I'm going back in person but I and I'm like I was doing like 12 to 8 30 remotely and now I'm doing like 7 30 to 4 in like and nice. part of that is in person so my sleeping this week was rough trying oh, to get it back on. Yeah. But now I'm back to that place where I was for most of, actually for most of last year when I was working remotely, I maintained what I thought was pretty good, um, pretty good uh, sleeping habits. And so I'm back to that. I did have to buy like extra strength melatonin um, <laughs> to help correct it in that way. But I think it's working. So yeah, I, I definitely, I'm trying to be careful because I, I, my like normal sleep pattern. And I mean, I actually might, this might be true for a lot of people. If we weren't forced to get up at, you know, five and 6am, uh, is to definitely stay up late and then sleep late. So I've Mm -hmm. been shifting more and more. You know, where I'm, like, in bed reading till, like, 1 a.m., you know, and then I'm sleeping till 9 or 10. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then it you know, because I only have one, like, only one of my classes now is synchronous. Oh, Uh, wow. It's only one day a week on Thursdays at 9.30. So even that, like, I can still get away with, I can go to bed at 1 and, like, get up at 9 because I only have to walk 10 feet to, you know, the office, 20 feet to the office, and then I'm I'm in class. Uh, I couldn't get away with that if I had to, like, get up and actually go somewhere. Um, especially cause I can't wait to get up and go places again, you know, do my face, get all dressed up. Even if I am just going to walk to class. You are beat for the gods right now. I did. I, I wanted to do a little something cause I was like, oh, people are coming. So I wanted to do a little something. You so, put, you, you put know. your face on for me and I, I appreciate did. it. I did. And for me, it's for my own health. Like oh, that's to feel true. good. You know, yes. like, like, oh, I have a reason to like do my face. I might need you to do part of my face one time. Right. We should. That'd be so much fun. I, I really want you to do my nails. 
because oh I've, see i don't do that that was the seal that did uh, all the nail stuff. well you could i mean maybe i'll have my mom do my nails or something cause yeah like, yeah uh, yeah, yeah, but if anything, I w- I actually don't think I'm good at doing other people's makeup, but I've got so much of it that we could just have a day and you could just like play around and do stuff. Yes, but like full facial though, right? Like face mask, like get it clean. Yeah, and do then, the whole thing. Okay. We'll just have a spa day. The full fantasy? I haven't even done that in so long. I have so much stuff that I've like been hoarding, you know, because like I was really getting into that and having those on like a regular basis with girlfriends coming over and then it just all stopped and like mm-hmm. I've got like all this stuff that I've just like, it's all still good, you know, but yeah. Yeah, and plenty and plenty of freaking uh, makeup. So yeah. I know palettes upon palettes. Yes, we got. You're like a warehouse. I, You're yeah. like Costco. <laughs> I really need to go through stuff. I should declutter, but hey, it's whatever. Anyways, this is so fascinating <laughs> for our 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 dear dear listeners. Uh, speaking of drag race. <laughs> uh, did you watch this week? I didn't watch this week, but I think I know who the top four are. I need, I know who the tops are. Right. Right? Like, no one went home, right? Is right. That, okay, so. Sorry. Spoiler alert. But, yeah. I mean, it's all over the place. I, I didn't even need, And anyways, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. So, I, I was... There's no way they're going to cut. This is going to be a four, you know, a four-time thing. It just always makes me mad, because it's like, I wasted two hours of my life watching this for them not to cut anybody. You yeah. You know, like, it was pointless. <laughs> And they started putting the teams, like, who, what team are you now? So, right. So, like, all the fucking gays that I follow on Instagram are all like, team blah, team blah. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I know that queen made it and that queen made it. Yeah. So, yeah. I am, I, I kind of just think they should maybe give it a tie and just do Simone and Got Mick and move on, you know? Mm -hmm. Cause I really want, I want one of them to win. Um, but I, I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like, how do you crown one or the other? Like, I just feel like they the, should both the, get to win. Yeah, they're both solid in very specific and different ways. Yeah. And, I mean, we've there's already a precedent for, sh- for doing a tie. Yeah. Which, so I think this yeah. would be the first time maybe they could do a tie and give it to both of them. Um, I just think that between the two of them, they really, you know, are bringing this future-mindedness. I think, you know got with um their I, I mean yes of course they're i guess it's kind of like token tokenism i you know them being a trans person but that was a big deal like because rue has been very infamously <laughs> anti-trans i yeah. think to, to a certain not anti-trans in the sense of like you know transphobic but i well i don't know i there have definitely there have definitely been comments made and like things that rue has said like on his own that that do feel transphobic that do feel very Um, transphobic but also listen to like his podcast and his show and 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 talking about like the history of those intersections of like black culture intersections of trans culture and drag uh you know it's like i feel like he's aware but he's he's always had this very limited view of what drag should be meaning like cis men should do it and that's it and that's the, the illusion comment. the right. gender illusion yeah. uh, so I'm glad that Mick is there got Mick is there and I hope that that you know we'll, we'll see that continue to expand in what is and isn't drag because I think that young people are just destroying the whole sense of what gender means um at least in ways that like our generation and above have not been able to yeah. as successfully. Uh, you know, so I just think people are going to engage with gender in a very different way. And so I think Gottmik definitely is a great future for that. Oh yeah. And then Simone, 
I think has carried on like the legacy of um, uh, the Vixen and, you know, kind of bringing this awareness to drag about like colorism about, you know, the black experience that I also think is extremely important. And I also think that drag race has historically been bad about. Yeah. Uh, so I just think, yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole future there of, yeah. of to carry the show forward yeah. uh, between the two of them. So either one of them, I think should win candy, you know, is, is fine. I mean, and Rose are fine. Um, you know, I mean, nothing against them necessarily, but I don't, I, I don't see them yeah. being this, uh, being on the vanguard of what, of, yeah. of what drag race could be. And the Vixen, like the Vixen revealed the larger, the biggest like crack, the biggest, right. the biggest thing in, in RuPaul's whole, in, in this, like, you know, the multinational corporation of, right. you know, that is RuPaul fracking incorporated, you know, like right. it's, it's this idea that like, you know, our heroes are not, our heroes are our heroes, but they're not in it with us. You know what I mean? It's like kind of, a, I, I want to say like, it's related to that. Like we don't, we keep us safe. We don't need anybody else. And so like with Rue, it's like, we can't expect someone who has had to, who has had such mainstream success um, and has been in those rooms with the white men, you know, to right. present their ideas, to get things out there. And like, you know, made it so this huge industry, the drag industrial complex, as it were. And so to expect them to, like, you know, go to bat for the Black Queen or, like, to have the back of the Black Queen in the way that, like, the Vixen really could have used during, you know, the infamous reunion part is just, you know, not is not good. And so like seeing kind of Simone poke at that and like consistently bring it up in a way that like, you know, in, in a, in, in a very specific way and having that point of view and just being unapologetic about it and is, has been good. And, and I appreciate that. Like, you know, we're, we're recognizing the work that was done with other Queens. I mean, and to, and Latrice Royale to to a certain extent as well, especially with, um, you know, being so open about her incarceration and yes. Yeah. No. And again, the, the, the work has been, the, has been done before and people have been bringing up important conversations. Um, but again, there's also within, within Latrice's story, the way it gets sort of manipulated by the producers of the show, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, see, even like, you know, a criminal can like, there's like this sort of, um, um, what do you call it? Like a, it's an oddity. It's like a morality tale in yeah, there, kind of wrapped up, I feel, yeah. a little bit. And, you know, and not not examining the larger, you know, structures of institutional racism more so as, like, you know, you did a crime and you paid for it and look where you are now, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, but not to take anything away from Latrice, because that was, you know, obviously a very traumatic time given, you know, her, her family loss. For her, I think it was extremely, you know, like that, I, I get why she's sharing that story, but the way that producers use it and the way that we tell those kinds of stories is always interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, all right. So, yeah, that was Drag Race Minute uh, with Fright School. <laughs> <laughs> and now let's take a break, and then we will be right back to chat. I'm very excited. Uh, we are continuing our uh, little delve here uh, into fairy tale land with uh, tales of Little Red Riding Hood, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Hard Candy 2005. I just want to apologize. 
sorry to everyone. I was very naive and very stupid, and I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I am so sorry for everything that has happened, because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I am so sorry. I only wanted to make good content for our listeners. I'm so scared. I'm going to die out here. Joshua, is that you? All right, welcome back. So today, we, as I was saying, we are continuing our little, um, you know, traveling down the the little a little jaunt, little path uh, here through 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 Grimm's fairy tales, uh, Grimm fairy tales, uh, <laughs> and so this is sort of you know the first uh, you know series that we're gonna do. Uh, of this, but we we have got a few others planned, so I, that I think are going to be fun. But uh, starting with Little Red Riding Hood, so you know, last week we did Red Riding Hood with Amanda Seafried, a very uh, obvious Little Red Riding Hood parallel. <laughs> it is the story, or was you know based mm-hmm. on the story very clearly. So today we are talking uh, 2005. <laughs> there's a there's a year. Uh, <laughs> Hard Candy, uh, starring. Elliot Page, billed as Ellen Page, obviously. So we're gonna try. We're gonna try very. There's gonna be another uh, playing with pronouns episode yes. uh, as as his their character in the story. Haley is a girl, so she for Haley and he or they for Elliot. Elliot. <laughs> we're gonna try to try try to keep it straight, y'all. That's what you got to do. Ironically, you know, we're exactly. gonna try to keep it straight. Um, so. We got Elliot Page, Patrick Wilson, uh, directed by David Slade, who I guess had been doing music videos up until then. Um, but it looks like he also directed, whoops, come on, feature films, uh, 30 Days of Night, The Twilight Saga, Eclipse, <laughs> and The Black uh, Mirror Bandersnatch. Oh, he yeah. did Bandersnatch. That explains a lot. Okay. Yeah. And then before that, yes, lots of, uh, I've got Aphex Twins, um, Stone Temple Pilots, P.O.D., Muse, a bunch of Muse. Oh, he did Tori Amos's Strange Little Girls music video, David Gray, Systems of a, System of a Down, uh, System of a Down. That's weird thing to say uh anyways he also directed episodes of breaking bad hannibal powers american gods black mirror obviously along with doing bandersnatch so yeah so he's on direction 
Written by Brian Nelson. I thought, though, when we were watching it, that the screenplay had also been written. There was a woman involved, but her name is not on here. So, hmm. Let us know. Right. <laughs> um, Maybe... Wow. I, I, see, it's interesting to hear Bandersnatch because, like, there are there are definitely like stylistic elements of how he shot things where I'm like, yeah, Bandersnatch makes Bandersnatch tracks, uh, 30 days of night tracks, um, twilight. <laughs> right. Also that's tracks a little, for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. I was just trying to get, I should have gotten this before I went back and looked in the, in the, in the movie. I was trying to find the name of the screenplay. We really want to make sure that, you know, if there is a woman attached to this film, that, before we go off on a whole, like, this film is written from the male gaze perspective. Well, I mean, I think that still is, and that's kind of, and we can, we'll get into chatting a little bit about that. But uh, for now, Joe, just go ahead and tell us uh, your initial thought, because this was truly the first time you've seen this, right? Yes. So, okay. um, so I, I knew something, I knew one particular scene, we'll get to it a little bit later, um, because I had watched a, um, pre-Fright School, pre-even meeting Joshua, um, I had watched this, like, countdown of, like, the top 20 most, like, uh, chilling scenes in horror films, and, um, this was, came up as one, uh, the movie came up as one, so that was, um, my first introduction to it, but, um, I have to say that I really liked it, um, I liked that it was, I liked the intimacy of it, like, it was very, I felt like I was watching a play, almost, um, and it very well, it very could easily be translated into, you know, just like a theater and small theater in the round style play. Um, the dialogue was really, was really interesting. It like leans heavy into kind of your like early aughts isms, but, um, when it hits, it hits like the dialogue, it like when it, when it punches, it, it punches really, it punches really deeply. Um, but overall, um, I very much enjoyed it and I, um, again, this is one of those films where like I was expecting one thing and I got something else. Um, I was expecting it to be, I was expecting it to be along the lines of a funny games, along the lines of an audition. And it has that kind of feeling to it, but it definitely doesn't have, um, like it doesn't, it, it doesn't use violence unnecessarily. Like there's very, or not that those films did either, but like it is very intentional where the violence lands in this particular, in this film. And um, I appreciated that choice, but overall loved it. Would watch again, would watch again, maybe not by myself, but it would definitely show other people uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I would, I would show this to like a bunch of, you know, like uh, cis bro-y type guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh that's sort of funny. I think it, you know, it's kind of operating on um you know, when we talked about Alien and how they talked about how Alien can be read as this um conversation about like male rape, like, you know, and and like the consequences of that. Um so it's that that's like this deeper meaning. Uh you know, that they wanted I think there's a quote from the writer or somebody involved that's like we really wanted men to like squirm in their seats because it's, you know, this this very um violent thing that happens, you know, to the male character. 
Uh, you know, so this is kind of similar working, you know, it, like with the, like these deepest fears of men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so a, 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 as a starting place, so I wanted to, this is a pop matters, um, article. This is from 2010. And I just sort of like this to kind of as a starting point for our conversation. So at the midpoint of the last decade, uh, although now, 20 years ago, um, America was at a dark moral nexus. After the trauma of 9-11, the country re-elected an administration that was maintaining secret prisons and practicing torture. American fascism was no longer a left-wing fantasy, but a cold, hard reality. Torture was justified with a self-serving rationale. America only tortures terrorists, and they deserve it. Hard Candy originally... Originally released in 2005, is very much a product of its time. The film is best understood within the context of the toxic political atmosphere in which it was born. Uh, Haley, Elliot Page, although again here listed by um, his old name, is a precocious 14-year-old girl who meets Jeff, Patrick Wilson, in an online chat room. Her chat handle is thonggirl14. He is lensman319. They arrange a face-to-face at a local coffee shop where Jeff, with gentlemanly aplomb, wipes chocolate from Haley's lips and buys her t-shirt. You know, he reveals he's a photographer with a home studio, but in fact twist not a twist jeff is a pedophile and possibly a murderer who uses the internet and his home studio to lure unsuspecting teenage girls so of course that's how the movie starts uh yeah i thought that was sort of interesting the because we've talked about on uh, in the past 9-11 being in our lives a very uh, specific traumatic national event mm-hmm that we all witnessed and, or, you know, not witnessed, but, you know, those of us that were alive, that were there, were part of. It's one of those moments where in your life where it's like, you remember where you were when. Yes, yes. One of those like flashbulb, you know, type things. Yeah, so, so um, JFK's assassination. Right, right. Challenger, those, all that uh, stuff. Yeah, and those sorts of, in that archetype of, of memory and of event. And I have... I and many others have tied, you know, a direct link to the uptick in like torture narratives and, you know, extremely violent uh, horror that came sort of in that immediate aftermath of that to this. So uh, to, to 9-11. So Hard Candy obviously does fit into that, into that time frame. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting in point to, to start talking about the, the film. So, I mean, and we'll get to sort of the Little Red Riding Hood as we go along, um, which I thought it was interesting. I read that they, uh, and now interesting is the word of the day. Oh, gosh, I have to kill that word from my vocabulary. Uh, but uh, the producers of the film said that the red hood she's wearing is just sort of an accident of, of you know, of the clothing, you know, choice, uh, rather than an intentional which you know maybe mm-hmm. we can we can kind of explore that a little bit um, as we go along. Yeah. But so Haley's character, obviously, you know, the the film starts. She does seem you know they're like chatting online, and he's you know they're they're being there's lots of there's a there's double we, entendre. It was very like it was very reminiscent of like you know if you've ever been a, if you've ever been you know a curious teen or even like a um, even a like you know very uh, even though a gay man in need of satisfaction. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
you know, of age, obviously. Like, it's very reminiscent of that. Like, the coy back and forth. Right, right, yes. Chatting, chatting. Yes, this chatting, this, like, little, you know, we know the true subtext of all, of everything. And um, it also, like, reminded me of, like, AIM. Like, you know, very... Oh, yes! (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Side note, we were the worst about that, me and my friends. Really? That was the thing. We would get online and talk... We would pretend to, I mean, it's kind of like this movie in a way. Like, we would just be like, yeah, sure, I'm 18. And just chat. We were like 13, you know, like chatting with who who knows what kind of horrible humans mm-hmm. all over the world. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, my my friends were really... And me, obviously, I was there. We were we were very into that. Uh, that was an... I mean, for me, like, my, like, people my age, that was probably the first time I was really exposed to, like, explicit like sexual conversation, you know, mm-hmm. was like aim and Yahoo messenger. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, on, we had Guam chat. I don't oh. know if it's a thing, uh, but I definitely remember hearing about Guam chat. Uh, and it was just like, it was so strange, um, for Guam chat to be a thing <laughs> yeah. and all of that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean like, again, we're, we're of that age where it's like, you yeah. know, internet chat rooms were, um, were the ways that in which that we learned that vocabulary of, you know, the subtext of, of conversation to a degree and some of it just explicitly. Uh, yes. Like, and yeah, some filthy. of it, yes. Uh, you know, but that's, you know, that's how, yeah, yeah. That's how we, we've learned about it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> not saying this is a good thing. Uh, it's just a truth. I'm just, I'm just speaking my truth here. Yes. You know, that's what this is about today. So, Obviously, you know, they meet at the little cafe, and uh, yes, it's very uncomfortable re-watching this, uh, because I haven't watched it in a very long time. Uh, I bought, I I own it, I've had it for years, but I just, um, you know, for whatever reason, it's not one that I, like, rush to re-watch all the time. (laughs) Um, But, you know, so... The meat is very uncomfortable between the two of them, especially when he's, like, you know, wiping the chocolate off her lips but you know it's just it, it, with, for framing the story it's very clear when you're at the beginning like okay bad guy poor innocent girl being lured here and you know and then it's like you know he's very he's good at this you know he knows how to like plant you know suggestions he knows how to groom exactly how to groom you know, so that they eventually end up back at his house and, you know, to, to you know, a, a, ostensibly listen to a gold frap um, bootleg. <laughs> I know, right? Right there, a gold frap record. Uh, gold frap uh, MP, bootleg MP3. Right, yes. Uh, live, a live show. Um, you know, so blah, blah, whatever they get there. You know, he makes her an alcoholic beverage, or, well, he offers her one. She is not so dumb, or at least, you know, appears not to be that dumb of, like, okay, I'm going to not drink a drink that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't make myself. Uh, so, yeah. so Which then, no one told me about, but I just kind of figured that out on my own. So the first time I ever, like, went to a guy's house, like, I knew not to do that. You're very smart. Joe. I just, I mean, I'm not, just I'm not smart. saying that like I deserve cookies for that or anything, but I was just like, <laughs> it's, but it was just like, it's so like, oh, you know, they tell us. And I was like, did they? No one told me, like, if I was not savvy, I might not be, you know. I, well, the question is, do they tell that to boys? 
you know, mm. like again, mm. like, you know, obviously that's one of those things for the list, you know, of the mm-hmm. things that maybe boys aren't told because boys are not, we're not primed for that in the same way. Um, men and boys are victims of sex trafficking. You know, it happens are victims of other sexual violence. But society has not, like, normalized that they should be wary of that in yeah. the same way. So I think, yeah, that's a, a, a more of a discussion of, of what, you know, young women are told. But regardless, you know, so she's like, no, I'll make the drinks. And then what happens? Twist. She drugs him and uh, proceeds to torture him over the next hour and a yeah. half. <laughs> I know she po- super fun. She positioned herself as this like the best honey trap, you know this. So uh, let, before we continue, I I have a question for you. So like the it's or maybe not maybe not so much a question as an observation. So it's like it's very paradoxical, right? Like his particular interest in her, or at least it seems that way in the coffee shop scene because it's like she is obviously like like beyond her years. You know, she in in this she's fourteen, but like she seems beyond her years. She's talking about gold frap. She's talking about this, that, and the other. He likes her because of her like supposed maturity, but it's like paradoxical because it's like I like you because of your maturity, but at the same time, what is most desirable about you is the fact that you you know are fourteen. Um, or that's one of the things, I guess, that's most desirable. So I just thought that was such an interesting thing where it's like you're looking for this person who like you know it. It, it's obviously savvy and you can, it, it can be switched around or, you know, in a court of law, <laughs> it can be weirdly twisted that like this person wanted it. She looked, behaved like a woman. I think, I think that's right. They that, have a whole conversation about yeah, that. Behave like a know? woman. Yeah. And so it just seems so paradoxical because like, you know, he's not a pedophile that's looking for a child who is like acting like a child. He's looking for someone who, you know, is, not who is wise, but like not a child. Well, I don't even know if that's necessarily what he's looking for, but having somebody who is answering the messages, who's willing to meet him, he's not having to do mm-hmm. a ton of work, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. again, because we know that she's luring him into a trap yeah. and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. It's really, again, this movie has a lot. The, one of the reasons I really think this is a, is a successful film uh, is that, there is a lot of gray area. Like we don't, and I mean gray in the sense of like motives and story and, you know, because we really don't know, like as the audience, even watching it, there's never like a true backstory. She could be lying about her name. She could be lying about her age. You know, um, Elliot was, I, I think 17 or 18, probably, I think 17 when they filmed it. I think this. 17 when they filmed it too. But they were definitely 18 when it was released. Um, you know, so they could be, you know, the Haley could be, older than, you know, she's saying she is. She could be younger than she's saying she is. Who knows? She talks about her dad, you know, teaching or being a doctor, but is he really? You just, so we, there's a lot of kind of gray about like how, what, who she is, you know, who she really is. So again, I think that makes it harder to, I think it's more about in that sense, she's willing to meet him and come to his house. So, hey, that's part of the work done. He didn't even have to like, try that hard you know yep. he did some what google searches for gold frap and then quoted mm-hmm. amazon at her you know so um 
Which I said, or that's I did make that note that the 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 true reason she's the villain is because she hates Goldfrapp. Like fuck her, uh, she doesn't know shit about music. Okay, what does a fourteen year old know about music? Huh? <laughs> I remember being offended by that when I actually saw when I first saw the movie because I was just like, wait, what? No, Goldfrapp's awesome, you asshole. Well. It- <laughs> It seems also, you know, with adding further to like that, all the ambiguity around, you know, who Haley is, like it, it, she also could not, she also very much could be not 14. You know, like there's there, her lexicon, the way she, right. you know, all of that, the way she's dragging things out, like it's, it very well could be that Haley is not, but just presents as it and was able to do it. Um, but again, like that's, that's the interesting part is that we're, we're, we're left to question everything about her, but like everything about him that we're presented is presented as gospel or is presented with like, this is the truth because we are revealing who you are at this, um, at this point, we're revealing your pedophilic nature and now we're going to get you to confess to this murder and all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's always very interesting as the, as the film goes, because Haley already knows everything. Yeah. For, for Haley, this is not at all about getting an answer. Like she already has the answer, Mm -hmm. you know, this is making him pay, you know? And so she, psychologically tortures him physically tortures him i mean that whole the whole scene like with the castration is wonderful it goes on for forever and then you find out that she didn't even actually do it like that is such like this amazing mind fuck uh that is is just incredible and of course because she can't actually castrate him because her real plan is for him to hang himself regardless of what happens like i, th- I think that that is at the end of it the the real plan cuz she tries to do it and then he escapes but she still sets the noose up like you are going to kill yourself like yeah. she doesn't even push him at the end like she's t- you've got to do it i'm going to tell everybody or you are going to jump you are going to do this uh you know so again she already has all the answers it's really it, it's mm-hmm. a more of that mind game with the audience about you know does do we believe that he murdered somebody? I mean, again, there are, I don't want to say there are gray areas, obviously with pedophilia, but within the film, they are asking constantly, does he deserve this? How bad of a person do we think he is that he deserves this? Who is the villain mm-hmm. in the in the film? Which also, like, culturally, at the time, we were asking as well. Like, or at least right. once, I mean, because shortly after this, you know, the the scandal with the atrocities committed at the Abu Ghraib prison, right. where it's like, you know, we're doing this to, these people are, you know, enemy combatants, and but like, did they deserve to have them, you know, be presented in that way? And so we're... I think, you know, it it just goes back to like, you know, how we treat our enemies is more reflective of us than it is on, you know, on them. And, and it's, 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 it's portraying this in such a way, but because it's like, you know, the, one of the most heinous things that you can do is like, you know, is, is like pedophilic acts. Right. And so... You know, I think that Wilson. I think like and well, murder. Murder is pretty bad. Murder's pre- yes. <laughs> murder's also pretty bad. Um, title of Ep, murder's pretty bad. Um, right. But it's just so. It's just so interesting because it's like you know Wilson's doing a great job of being like simultaneously this asshole and like you know, but also 
like were endeared to him with his confessions and telling a bit little bits of his story and like you know he's definitely uh he's definitely starting to go down the path of like you know this is a disease that i don't have control over and at a certain point like when when he like escapes and he like stabs that stabs one of his pictures and he's just like thank you for waking me up thank you for just you know for revealing that this is who i am like this is i am not an aberration this is who i'm embracing his monstrosity right at that point yeah yeah and that is that is who he is you know mm-hmm. everything before that again because it's playing with that i think about like hbo's the undoing which sorry spoiler alert if you did not watch that uh but it's been out for a few months so sorry you had your chance uh, it that's how it plays with your expectations because we are going along with Nicole Kidman and you really believe like her husband who's like I didn't do this crime I never would have done this blah 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 and like everything about it and you're just like oh my gosh you like you're going through like do we believe him you know and then when it turns out just yeah it was him all along well of course it was because it's always the husband but <laughs> but the journey to get there um, even though I didn't enjoy it in the moment when when I think back about the series um I like playing with that. I like that it that is playing with our it, it just like this does. Like we go, we obviously know he's gross. He's picked this girl up in a coffee shop. He's touched her. Somebody he thinks is fourteen. Um, you know, brings her back to his house. The whole thing, the way he's like touching her, giving her drinks. I mean, it's obvious. Like he's gross. Like this is terrible. And we think something bad's gonna happen to her. And of course, very coy gets, about like when she like you right? know is like. It, she's changing in the bathroom. Right. And he's like, whoa. And it's like, nah, you liked it. You liked it, guy. Right. It's, yeah. it's more of that kind of grooming stuff. And, you know, so of course when it gets flipped and then we're, as it goes, we're questioning, you know, like, well, did he actually hurt this girl? Has he hurt others? Has he murdered others? You know, all of that, like that, that sort of gets, you know, played on. Cause he keeps saying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it under like extreme duress. So you have to like think, well, did he, I mean, he's still gross. But, like, you know, he should get psychological help. He should go, you know, get, mm-hmm. you know, there, something should happen. You know, there, there, there's something going on there. <laughs> uh, but should he be castrated by a teenager in his, you know? <laughs> yeah, deserve to be uh, bound and then, you know, involved, like, uh, castrated against his will. Um, yeah, so the Pop Matters article kind of brings this... Um, well, it brings up a few things that that I think are that I think are interesting that we can talk about. So the the story provides this insight that you know Jeff is sexually frozen. He's still looking for young girls that he can control. Kind of goes back to like what happened. To his explanation of this you know experience he had being um, uh, really horrifically you know abused by you know an aunt or something like that. Um, uh, but anyway, so Haley listens to the story, mocks and ridicules him, and then she says, uh, uh, so this is a quote, I'm every girl you ever looked at, touched, screwed, and hurt. So um, the people that wrote this, the person that wrote this article, this is John Grassi, Grazzi, says that um, he finds Haley unpalatable because her lines don't ring true. The quote doesn't belong to a 14-year-old girl. It's part of a macho revenge fantasy by a 50-year-old male writer with a teenage daughter. If Diablo Cody had written the screenplay, Haley might have been more human and sympathetic. Uh, the political implications of the film include the, a feminist dynamic, but it doesn't play well. Um, in Luke Besson's uh, La Femme Nikita or Josh Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we get female assassins who kill out of necessity. Um 
Nikki and Buffy are interesting because they're connected to the human condition. They both have friends and lovers. Torture is inconsistent with their moral nature. In Hard Candy, Haley is merely a cipher. She represents a brutal idea. We never see a real person beneath the facade. Hard Candy manipulates the audience into a loser's choice. We must pick between the helpless pedophile strapped to the table or the teenage sadist who tortures him. And then to bring in your point, the film raises a larger issue. Torture is symptomatic of a society that's given up on liberal democracy, due process of law, and common decency when the use of torture is accepted and moral threshold has been crossed and only barbarism can follow. So it makes uh, Hard Candy this allegory for exactly what you're saying, this crisis of politics and of, you know, is torture right, is, you know, that we were kind of going through, uh, you know, and, and still are. I mean, we, <laughs> there's still very important yeah. uh, discussions to be had there. Um, so I, I thought that was very interesting. So thoughts on that, I guess. First, <laughs> like, how do you feel? I don't necessarily agree because I enjoy, I like mm-hmm. the film and I like Haley and I like you know because there's so much gray area of like who she is. But yeah. I mean, it it also like I mean, it, I I understand where he's coming from because it's like it's definitely from a male lens from a from a male writer's point of view and like, but it also seems like it seems so oddly strange to be like, if Diablo Cody wrote this, there would be some humanity behind it because it's, that's also like a tokenizing of femininity. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's like, basically, are you not saying that like women also have the ability like to like, don't have the ability to be just as like, um, uh, cold and unfeeling and calculating the way that men do. Like, right. you know, who's it, it? it's always that thing of like, who has the agency. Right. And yeah. so it, it's like, you know, is it feminist because like, we're y- y- like that, that, that just seemed like a really weird and strange thing. So I don't, I don't know necessarily if I agree with it because like you said, I think it works really well because of like this ambiguousness of its ambiguity, this gray area in which, um, Haley is inhabiting, um, and like again, it's like the 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 some of the best and most unsettling horror for me. It's when it's like something random happens and there's no explanation. Like we yeah. have no true explanation why. Like I was kind of hoping that Janelle was. Like, I I was trying to follow the Janelle stuff because, like, I wanted to know if like Janelle was one of his girls or who she was uh, to him, and I kind of hope that like. Um, uh, what's her name? Donna? Is it Donna Maurer or what? What's the name of the yeah the missing girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I was kind of hoping that that was Haley's sister and that would come out, right? Because but we don't, but we yeah. don't know. And so again, but but like that's part of it. Is like we don't, we also don't need to know, and we it it's still just as effective having those questions unanswered. Yeah. So the Janelle thing. So Janelle, if you've not, hopefully you've watched this film. Uh, Cause we listening. just spoiled the shit out of it. For uh, you. Yeah. But uh, so Janelle is what I got, what I, what I picked up from it is that Janelle was an adult woman that he was having a relationship with that sort of realized something's wrong with like that. He's obviously not into older women mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning of age women yeah uh that's kind of what i got from their conversation again i you know we were chatting a little bit so i did lose some of that but i think that yeah she was positioned as like 
this woman that he had a relationship that he did care for her, but maybe more as like a smokescreen to hide his Mm. other activities. Or he was a a smokescreen or it's like he is unable to have with her what he wants to have with the younger women. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I did like your point again about the Diablo Cody comment that they're making in like feminism because, you know, dear listener, put a pin in this because the next film we're going to do and talk about, we will, interrogate that very thing because it is written and directed by a woman exploring similar themes. So, uh, yeah, how, you know, how a woman may handle this material or, or how men may handle it. But I think regardless, I think this is one of the few places where, well, this is kind of hard exactly, um, maybe to, to put because of the way that culture is, Obviously, I think culture uh, encourages the sexualization and the objectification of young women and of girls, of, of, of um, you know, children. But generally, everybody, we all get told, like, this is bad and this is a horrible crime to commit and a terrible thing to do, you know? So I think men and women could equally approach having the conversation mm-hmm. uh you know again how that looks may be different but again, i don't I, I one of the interesting things i was reading uh one of the um god it's driving me crazy i keep saying that <laughs> one of the articles i was reading had kind of a cool analysis of the way that Haley sort of shifts in the film because when we first see her you know and she's got like her little red you know jumper on and she's got like the chocolate on her mouth and she seems very feminized and very you know young and girlish demure exactly Mm -hmm. and then when after the drugging she wakes up or he wakes up and Haley is there like she's taken off the hood she's got like this you know um tank top on she's looks very masculinized Mm -hmm. you know matt you know uh, um i was gonna say emasculated but that is not (laughs) the same thing uh (laughs) but this uh paper that i'm gonna link in the um in the show notes has all these like pictures like showing like how different you especially when she's walking through the house in the red hall and like it seems like she's muscular and you know she just looks very uh it's sort of this uh the reason I, 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 I thought it was a, a good point is it brings up Clo- uh, Clover's um, uh, Men, Women, and Chainsaws conversation about the final girl, how the final girl, you know, goes through this transformation mm-hmm. and becomes like a masculine type figure to like avenge the, you know, herself or her friends. And that yeah. that is like sort of an inroad for male viewers, the male gaze, to see her now as a masculine figure. Avenging. And to empathize with her. Right, you know, and now she has the knife, or she has the gun, yep. she has the phallic imagery, and she's in in control. Uh, so she I, penetrates the killer in the same way that the pill- the the killer was trying to penetrate her. Exactly, you know. So um, Haley's character goes through that transformation as like, even though it's not nece- like the typical final girl, because again, this is all by her design. You know, this yeah. is her game. She's running the whole thing the whole time. She knows she's got all the answers, mm-hmm. which is such a genius twist on right. the final girl kind of trope about uh, of it all is just that you know she she's the final girl but because she has designed it that way it's like it's like in scream if like sydney was <laughs> if sydney was the killer from the beginning <laughs> right, right the whole time yeah. yes the whole time it was you um 
but anyway, so the the point I was going to make about like the the masculine gaze is that I don't think that she's too sexualized, though. Mm-mm. You know, and especially when it comes to like the end, you know, where she's got her baggy jeans on and her, you know, she's got a cut, you know, the layers of like her, you know, whatever she's wearing and the tank top, and you know, kind of given this like boyish kind of appearance as this avenging, uh, you know, the, it is kind of an interesting shift. Uh, so, and then as like, you know, again, looking at it, like it's the little red riding hood conversation where we, our last episode, how we kind of talked about how there are different conversations about what red riding hood is about. Um, and so when you look at the original red riding hood, it is very much a victim blaming story, like little girls who don't behave themselves or stay, you know, at home safe and go out and venture in the world and want to be people, oh, the audacity, mm-hmm. um, you know, will, be eaten by wolves, <laughs> you know, uh, again, carry that to like the feminist angle. They will be raped. They will be victimized and it will be their fault. Yeah. Uh, you because know. we told you not to go. Because we told you. And so, yeah. you know, when you think about that and, you know, that original ending of little red riding hood where the wolf does eat her. Uh, so that, you know, that's, that's one of those tales. And then we have other tales where little red riding hood escapes, you know, and she has to, you know, she saves herself. And so with this, this is sort of twisting that narrative where she's actually luring the wolf, you know, and she wants to be responsible for holding him responsible for the deaths of these people. And again, we don't know exactly her relationship. There is earlier in the film when they're in the coffee shop, there's a missing poster for, what was that coffee shop called? Night? Nighthawks. Nighthawks. Which is the name of the image, the famous image that's on her, the shirt. Right. Is, is also called Nighthawks. Um, so in that bar, like, you know, so who knows, maybe she went there and she saw that person, who knows how long she's been stalking or, you know, I mean, we don't, again, we don't really know, but what, but what we do know is that she is in control and mm-hmm. that she is, she is the wolf in disguise rather than him, even though he obviously very much thinks he is up until yeah. that point. So I, 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 I see this as that in inverting the, um, the little red riding hood tale mm-hmm. to, to a certain extent. So, <laughs> and that's what this paper, it's yeah. called unconscious adaptation because the, the people who made it said that the, uh, hood was an accident, that it was just a, you know, a fluke of, of costuming. Mm-hmm. That because fairy tales uh, are so are so insidious, like in our in our brains, uh, when when an adaptation happens by accident, it's it's accidental, but it's also like not. Oh like yeah, because it's, within it's our, wired within us. Yeah, it's yeah. within our you know our unconscious collective consciousness. Um, what is uh, Campbell archetypes? It becomes those yes. kind of like those subconscious archetypes. Um, you know, a la Jung, a la Campbell, you know. Yes, and that's kind of exactly what this is about. It's about this Jungian feminist reading of, you know, Little Red Riding Hood within Hard Candy. So again, I mean, even without all of that conversation, you know, without reading this paper, just the fact that she's got a, 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 a you know, a hood on, <laughs> you know, a red hood, I mean, it just immediately gives you that, yeah. you know, expression. And again, this is one of the most... Our, this film is one of the truly like 
uh, true understandings of the narrative for the first like half hour of it is that you know the bazoo, the monstrous male, you know this sexual predator rapist who's preying on young girls, not a real wolf, not a werewolf, but a mm-hmm. but a monster of man, you, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so that it's very literal in that first part that, you know, she's lured and, you know, by chocolate and candy and gifts and, you know, into his home. And then obviously, you know, the, t- the twist sort of happens. So then by, by this paper's assertion, can we just say that like all masculinity is inherently toxic? <laughs> well, just because like you, they're saying like though that transformation that the, that, uh, Haley undergoes of like you know from this from very from reading very feminine to then starting to read masculine and then that part and it's in that part where she has agency and she becomes monstrous and in the same way like doesn't that like doesn't couldn't you maybe draw a dotted line to the concept that like all masculinity is inherently toxic and monstrous <laughs> I would not want to make that because I don't believe that to be the case Mm-hmm. Um, I don't be- like, I mean, personally, I mean, I'm sure that it could be argued, um, that, you know, that masculinity on its own is toxic. Um, I personally don't necessarily, I just don't believe yeah. that is the case. I think toxic masculinity is a different thing from ma- like masculine uh, I don't know. That's kind of a hard one because maybe we should destroy the whole idea of masculine and feminine and people are just who they are and how they act. And, you know, we're all a, a mix of those things, you know, uh, you know, doing, you know, doing housework isn't any more feminine than yeah. there's plenty of destruction is, that's is feminine as like, there's plenty of destruction as that's feminine, just as much. There's plenty of creation that is masculine, it, 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 at least in those kinds of like, right. Archetypal, we're going like, to talk in those sort of limited terms but i just i do i believe in the yes all men thing to the extent that i do believe all men in our culture regardless of sexuality regardless of their own gender perceptions that may change as they age you know almost all men by the culture we live in and that is reflected back to us you know by the way our parents treat us or you know by the way men treat us when we go to school uh, you know we are all taught a lot of terrible things about women about what it means to be a man or what it does you know um so i i i think that we do live in a culture that encourages the worst in us and encourages us to believe the worst you know, but I have a hard time saying that all masculinity is toxic. Um, I don't know. I'd have to kind of think, I guess, more yeah. about that myself. Yeah, that, that's a that, there's a lot to unpack there. But like I, I've heard that statement be like bandied about before. Yeah, and it's something that I often think about because like. Like in myself, like I very much identify as male. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a cis male, and I very much identify as such. But it's so interesting because, like, I mean, <laughs> bringing it back to Drag Race, like Gottmik's whole storyline about, like, you know, I am definitely not uh, the comp, the the complexity of like of gender, where it's like I'm definitely, I don't feel like I am a woman, but at the same time, I'm like very high femme, very queer. So, like, what does that mean? for me to exist in this in this body that I was born into prior to you know prior to transition and so like seeing seeing that is interesting and um, I recommend 
I, I, I explore this because I read this book called Amateur um, by um, uh, Thomas Page McBee uh, that uh, kind of uh, breaks down like what it means like specifically from a trans perspective to like uh, to want like in from a transitioning perspective of like masculinity. Um, so we can put that in the show notes too because it's 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 interesting to bring that concept up and you know also like my own complicity in things that are toxically masculine as well um whether it's just to you know pass and you know allow myself safe passage through toxically masculine spaces right um but yeah i it's i i agree with you it's not something that it's definitely something that to like unpack further. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it all operates differently. I think for each of us, you know, how we were raised, how we see, you know, how we separate, uh, different experiences, because I think for me, like my gender, my own gender identity is informed by a lot of different things, you know? And, and I was having this conversation with some girlfriends because I definitely feel very much, like a sister, you know, mm-hmm. in our, like, you know, that there's a sisterhood and that I feel part of that and that it's, it is different than being, uh, in a brotherhood, you know, like there is, you know, there's, we were just kind of having this conversation that it's like, I'm, I myself am not a trans person. I don't identify, um, you know, that I, you know, the, in those, in those typical, um, ways that we talk about like transness and gender, but I don't necessarily feel like a man or a woman either. Like I just, I, you know, often go about thinking just in my own terms, you know, my own way that I, you know, see the world, but I do appreciate being part, being considered one of the girls in a sense, but it means something else. It's like, it's beyond and it's hard to like put into words. It trans, it transcends just the binary conception of what it means to be a girl. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way. Like I would never like, I would never think to, think of the relationship, the close relationship that I have with my queer friends as being a brotherhood. Right. Like I would never think that I was like, there's definitely like, like an inherent sisterhood and yeah, there's just something else at play. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, and I don't even mean that, like, I think that that is even different. Like the, the queer men I have, I don't even consider that way. This is specific to women, to my mm-hmm. friends who mm-hmm. exist as women, mm-hmm. who operate as, in who the identify and who yep. identify as women. And my relation to them is that they see me in the same way. Yes. They see me as a place that, uh, can be trusted, can be included, can be, you know, considered like one of the girls, even though I don't identify that way. It's yes. beyond, it's hard to put it, it's hard to explain exactly. Yeah, but I think I get, I think I yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, <laughs> in other areas of my life, uh, you know, TMI, but in like my, my sexual pursuits, pursuits are very, like, very different. Like my gender identity there is very different, you know? And when it comes to that, I'm very feel much more on the masculine like scale, you know? So it just shifts, it changes. It depends on where, Mm -hmm. you know, where I am. And, and in that place, I enjoy that feeling, you know, more so than I do in my like Mm -hmm. general life. But again, that says, I mean, it's a lot of different things. Yeah. It's, you know, it's such a mess. (laughs) What we're saying is fuck the binary. Right, exactly. That it's garbage. Um, 
the binary is garbage. Um, uh, you know, but and culture does that. So you know, so to kind of bullet back to hard candy and and that you know this cultural conversation about Little Red Riding Hood and you know who the wolves are and you know who the who the the victim is. I mean, within this film, it's just it's very interesting because again, the um, Haley is not a direct. As far as we know, she's not tr- yet been like victimized, like she's being groomed. So uh, part of this conversation was about Barbara Creed's uh, The Monstrous Feminine and how Haley acts as this, you know, rape fantasy Avenger, even though like, as far as we know, she herself isn't, has not been subject to that. You know, she's avenging on behalf of others. Uh, 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 her friends, as far as we know, yeah. Again, it's not. It's also not a like just given just given what we know as like being human beings on the planet. It's not outside of the stretch the realm of possibility that she herself could have been um, a victim of a of somebody, and you know just been and taken this on as her like you know to be this avenging angel. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it adds this whole other. You know, conversation. They call her a femme castratrice, an archetype that Barbara Creed uh, discusses in in relation to the monstrous feminine. Ooh. Uh, and then it, I, I like this. They talk about how um, in the scene when he, I think, is he still on the table? And she, the first time she goes up to the roof, how we get that image where the neighbor's cutting the roses and in the background mm-hmm. you see Haley. Uh, so he, it says, Jeff's neighbor is seen deflowering a rose bush. While Haley is only just discernible in the background on the roof, which unknown to the audience at that point will be Jeff's place of execution. So she already knows, like, I mean, that early, you know, well, not early. It's like the midpoint, I think, of the film, you know, that she's got this whole thing planned. That's like this kind of foreshadowing. Uh, But I like that this uh, paper also goes on to say the rose is traditionally understood as a symbol of femininity and youth is often used as a metaphor for female genitalia. It appears in many little red riding hood adaptations and rape narratives. Uh, Here Slade effectively appropriates the symbolism and subverts it by conceptually replacing the forced uh, deflowering, you know, of red riding hood with the castration of the wolf. And so the gender fluidity and the fact that Haley's sexual knowledge is positioned outside the realms of individualism and maturation so that she can take on the role of Avenger disrupts the tale's traditional dynamics, eradicating the possibility of a conventional romantic sexual development uh, that uh, rejects literary androcentrism, there's your word for the week, Mm. (laughs) and reclaims the shadow quest of the oral tales. Uh, her knowledge of sexual violence, specifically pedophilia, makes explicit that she's also fully aware of her own sexual agency, using it to trap Jeff in the typical femme fatale style. We've discussed, you know, femme fatales on the, you know, in the past. And uh, so her alignment as this archetype also has a double meaning. On the one hand, it suggests that maybe she is not the 14-year-old she claims to be, while on the other, it compels the audience to grimly ponder how a teenage girl would know how to manipulate adult sexuality. Um, yeah. So again, kind of pushing, putting her in this, uh, in monstrous terms as the wolf and our sympathies get reversed. But again, as it goes on and then we find out that, um, you know, when he admits like, well, I mean, I watched the other guy murderer. I just wanted to take pictures, you know, for 
keepsake mm-hmm. from memories from scrapbook. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then she's like, huh, funny, because I actually already know that guy, Aaron, and he said that you did it right before he killed himself. So you, so I like, again, that up, up until that very last moment. She holds all the cards. Yeah, that she, she holds, holds all, all the cards. cards, and that, again, in the end, within the, the tale, you know, within the justice, within a fairy tale, within the morality tale that a horror film exists in, um he gets what he deserves. Mm-hmm. You know, he did participate in the murder of this girl who's missing. Um, he is a predator. He is a wolf. You know, he is a monster, mm-hmm. but so is she. And, yeah. and, but that's also, I'm the monster that eats other monsters. Yeah. <laughs> She's a Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, that's the cycle of violence too, right? Right. You know, if you have violence, you are, you are more likely to commit that which was perpetrated on you, right? And so in this way, she is, she's doing it in as like a, you know, that vigilante way. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I loved what you said earlier about this being like, could be a play because uh, one of the descriptions was calling it a pas de deux, you know, mm-hmm. which it very much is. It's, you know, yeah. um, you know, just the two of them. It's extremely intense. Uh, I think this actually would make a cool stage. Yeah. Imagine like intermission doing this in like the black box, the intensity of that. Oh, absolutely. Somebody should adapt this. Well, I'm, I, I, cause I was actually thinking cause they, re- they adapted misery to be a play on yes. Broadway. Like this, this, the treatment of this as a play, and especially, like, I'm thinking in terms of, like, the Old Globe Theater here in San Diego, they have that one space that's in the round, yeah. and it's very intimate, and, like, again, like, it's a pas de deux, it's, you know, it's it's a, it's a puff pastry, and that's a pas de choux. Um, pas de choux. A pied de terre, that's an apartment. Yeah. <laughs> a pas de deux. A pas de deux. A pas de No, that's something else. That's a dancing move. Um, um. Not the point. Actually, I think a pas de deux is also a dancing move, no? But um, I don't maybe. know. Who it's, knows? Um, it's like the waltz of Ava and Che, but like, you know, castration. Right. Like, exactly. <laughs> uh, so again, this I think could make a very intense two-person play. Uh, I love that idea. Somebody should adapt this. Um, maybe that could be a Fright School Presents. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. That I think would be very cool. I think it'd be difficult to cast. I think it would be... That'd be hard to sell. I don't know how how you'd really do that on stage, but there has to be a way. Oh, there's you know? there's a fucking. I mean, like uh, Justine, if she's listening to this, is screaming at us. Like, there's a way that Shakespeare did Titus Andronicus. Like right. that, you we can definitely simulate a castration. Yes, uh, or not, or not. You know, that's uh, that, that's the uh, thing. You hey, know? gotcha. Um, I get it. Couldn't probably be done in the round because he would probably have to be facing. He'd have to be like on a table with his head towards the audience. Yes, it'd have with to be between him. His legs. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it would work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. See, we're already figuring this out. Like, we but got if they it. could make it somehow work <laughs> in the round, that would be amazing. Yes. Because, like, can you imagine, like, in the round on a turntable? Well, yeah, but just spinning and spinning, yeah. and spinning like getting more and more intense. Because oh my that's God, what the ca- that's what the camera work was like too. Yes. The yeah. camera work was very like it was moving constantly, and it kind of broke. There's in filmmaking there's this the 180 rule where it's like the camera will always be on one will always be on the same plane right so like if you're shooting it from one side the camera won't all of a sudden be on the opposite side like you'll you'll see the movement and so this one kind of for me was like 
I was trying to remember the orientation of the different rooms in the apartment because yeah. as he was going through different walls and like going through those like um, those like flashes of red and you know the oh yeah in his in the house yeah, yeah in yeah. the house it's almost it was almost as if they were breaking that rule intentionally but then that that's part of it is like and also there was very cool use of color yes uh, and absence of color throughout. Yeah, there was a, a comment in one of the articles I was reading about, yeah, the intensity and how color is used uh, in, in, you know, in the film. Mm-hmm. So again, I will uh, attach all of those in the show notes. Should you want to read the, uh, you know, related, uh, recommended reading for this episode? Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, again, this is a very, I think, analyzed film. Um, for good reason. There's lots of there's lots to unpack within it, um, you know, fitting it, and then of course fitting it into like this little Red Riding Hood narrative. Uh, and yeah, and I did want to start with this because yes, it is directed and written by a man. Um, I couldn't. I know that the film said something about the screenplay, but again, I guess that might be different because the man still wrote it, uh, inspired by. Um, what I heard was Japanese schoolgirls who would like lure men into being mugged and robbed. You mean like audition? <laughs> well, right. sort of, but. sort of, uh, but that's kind of where they got the idea with these gangs of like Japanese girls, uh, beating up, mugging, robbing men that they had lured, you know, somewhere to, to mm-hmm. do whatever that's honey of, traps. Yeah. That's what, yeah. Inspired the story. Uh, you know, so I do think it kind of lives very much in that space of, of horror for men. I think guys watching this, you know, might think a little bit, you know, about whoever they might bring around, <laughs> you know, I, not even speaking necessarily to pedophiles, although they certainly should worry, um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Uh, yeah. So I just think that is the way this film is sort of a revenge fantasy. Maybe it is a little like, well, no, because I guess if 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 it was a man doing it, if it was like a father doing it, then I could maybe get behind a little bit more of like like you know those toxic shirts that are like, I've got my shotgun for like the boyfriend. I mean, all this kind of gross yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. possessive fatherhood yeah. stuff. Uh, you know, because the the comment in the in that article was about how this feels like that, like you know, like some dad wrote it because he's got a teenage daughter, and like you know, don't mess with my girl, like yeah. But it, uh, and that's I, why but I don't feel it reads that I, way. It exactly. doesn't read that way because then if that was the case, they would have made it like it would have been the art would have been as wish fulfillment, right? Like it yeah. would have been a man doing that. Yeah, um, I think that's a little bit. Yeah, I think that'd be a little bit more obvious. But yeah. again, yes, of course, men wrote it. I mean, we don't have, you know, um, every woman in the world giving us, you know, her thoughts on the film. Uh, you know, so we have, you know, we take it, you know, for the for the analysis that we, we do have. And again, the the Little Red Riding Hood tale, you know, belongs to all of us. Uh, you know, we're all pretty aware of it and the various uh, ways that it plays out in culture. And how it pervades consciousness. Yes. Now it's become a part of without even knowing it, without even intention, we can draw this, you know, we can draw those parallels. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh my gosh, first episode down back in the, uh, oh my gosh, the library. Are you exhausted? (laughs) Uh, Well, a little bit, but I'm also hungry, but I know we've got a good dinner being cooked right now. I know. We're going to go eat. (laughs) We didn't have to, we just sit here talking and it's all getting made. I know we're going to come out here and Um, it's going to be done. Yes. But, uh, no, this was amazing. So I'm glad that we were able to do this and oh, uh, be can I, together again. Can I bring one more thing up? So like when 
when she's castrating him, and I say that in quotes, um, and like it's it's the squishy sounds, mm-hmm. and I just I mentioned like it sounds like macaroni oh, is hot. Yeah. <laughs> I just kept like I that's the first thing that came by, but like it's funny because like in WAP, and again they didn't know that in the song WAP by Megan The Stallion and Cardi B, mm-hmm. you know they say macaroni in the pot, the wet ass pussy, right? Oh yeah. So like you know when the pussy's really wet, it sounds like macaroni pot. So like with this, it's not. That was that's where you went. And that's that. where I was like I was listening to him like, ooh, it sounds like it's so funny, right? It's like it sounds like wet ass pussy, but like he's being castrated, you know. Wow, there's that's a whole other episode to unpack all of those thoughts, uh, Joe. Um Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, dear listener, I'm super happy that 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 we get to leave you on those thoughts. <laughs> Um, so now when you're making macaroni, you're, you know, yeah, your blue box. thing about castration mm-hmm. or Cardi B. Or Cardi B and, Megan, B the and Stallion, Megan the Stallion. Doing their thing. So, which go them. I'm you know, super happy for them. Do it and do it. Get it. Whatever you want. Uh, all right. Yay. Yay. We will be back next week. I'm excited. We have got, we're going to have a guest and we're going to chat all about um, another another movie that we can pull uh, these little Red Riding Hood tropes from. So, Joe. Joshua. We're back it. We're back we, at it. We are, maybe. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> we, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, yes, you have a good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 